questions haunt every life, writes Andy Crouch. The first, what are we meant to be? The second, why are we so far from what we're meant to be? Welcome to Restoring the Soul. I'm Michael John Cusick, and this is the podcast that helps you close the gap between what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the program. It's Michael, and this is the second of two parts of my conversation with John Eldridge. John is a New York Times bestselling author, counselor, and teacher. He's the president of Ransomed Heart Ministries, a ministry devoted to helping people discover the heart of God, recover their own hearts in God's love, and to learn to live in God's kingdom. John earned his master's degree in counseling from Colorado Christian University, same program that I graduated from just a few years apart. That was under the direction of Dr. Larry Crabb and Dr. Dan Allender. Uh, John worked as a counselor in private practice before launching Ransomed Heart in 2000. He and his wife Stacy live in Colorado Springs. They have three grown sons, two golden retrievers, two horses, and a partridge in a pear tree. Actually, I added that last part just to see if anybody was listening, because sometimes when I listen to podcasts, I scroll through the introduction. But wow, if you do that on this podcast, you'll lose the soothing effect of my golden radio voice. I am really excited about part two because we get into how we actually experience restoration, whereas in the first part of this conversation, we unpacked a lot of the the misunderstandings around restoration and holiness and those kinds of things. So let's jump in. Part two of my two-part conversation with John Eldridge. So, John, I'd like you to read a passage from your book, and this is something uh, brand new as a resource of Ransomed Heart. It's called Restoration Year. It's a 365-day devotional, and I'm sure that this is going to embarrass you, but I think that that this book as a devotional every day for a year is as compelling and will one day be as uh well known as my utmost for his highest by Oswald Chambers. Oh, <laughs> that's hysterical. Yeah, I know, I know that's like saying that uh, whatever the greatest rock record is, right? The song that you wrote. But it it the, the, here's two things about this uh, devotional. Number one, I like cute stories and interesting anecdotes. You know, where you can open it up to any page and get engaged, and it's really interesting. And this doesn't have that. You know, you have a lot of those stories in your writing. You take really uh, rich truths, 365 of them, and then you connect it to a scripture, and then you connect it to the heart. And it just feels like nourishment as opposed to entertainment. And I have sought and sought and sought different devotionals, and most of them I yawn, and I get a couple of days into it, and I kind of put it by the side. But there's something about this devotional and the way that's put together that really is nourishing. Um, and, and I think it has the potential if people spend a year in this devotional for them to come out on the other side, a very different person from the inside out. Okay. That's wonderful. I hope so. I really hope so. That would thrill me. I, I do have to say, I'm not, I'm not a devotional guy. But I just in kindness, we have to be realistic about the capacity of people's lives 
to make room for any kind of reading. Let's just be kind. I have eight books, maybe more. I bet there's 10 right here on my shelf that I have read the first chapter of only. <laughs> I'm, I not the, I'm not the only one. Yeah. I mean, who has time anymore? Right? It's the instant pot. It's I need a three minute dinner, you know? So the idea of this book is it's attainable. In three minutes, you can read, you can take in, you can pray, and it will help you. And so what I'd like you to read is January 2nd, and it uh, expounds on the idea of what is the Christian life supposed to do? If we're followers of Jesus, what effect is it supposed to have? So would you be so kind as to read that? Okay. The title is What Effect? And the scripture we begin with is from the message, long before God laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. And that's Ephesians 1.4. And then I go on to say we exercise because we want to grow stronger. We take vitamins in the hope of being healthy. We attend language classes expecting to learn a new language. We travel for adventure. We work in the hope of prospering. We love partly in the hope of being loved. So why Christianity? What is the effect Christianity is intended to have upon a person who becomes a Christian, seeks to live as a Christian? The way you answer that question is mighty important. Your beliefs about this will shape your convictions about nearly everything else. It will shape your understanding of the purpose of the gospel it will shape your understanding of what you believe God is up to in a person's life. What is Christianity supposed to do to a person? God wants to make people whole and holy by his love. To make you whole and holy by his love. Whole and holy. This is actually what you ache for. And then we end sometimes with a prayer and sometimes with a question. Jesus, do I really believe this? What do I think you are actually up to in my life? Show me, Lord. Thank you. I love that. I think I was a Christian for many, many, many years. And I had, kind of like you shared, very high hopes for the the expectation and the effect of, of what a relationship with Jesus would do in my life. And very quickly, I bumped up against a wall because the prescriptions that I had been given and the way of, uh, quote, doing Christianity had an effect where I felt worse about myself than uh, better. And it brought me to a point of thinking there was either something wrong with me or something wrong with this set of beliefs. And then I started to encounter this whole idea of restoration. So I, I love the question in the form of a prayer at the end of Jesus, do I really believe this? And I just want to encourage people to be able to pray that prayer. You know, Jesus, do I believe that this is as good as it gets? I think one of the biggest lies propagated uh, today is that if you're a Christian, wherever you are today, whatever you're struggling with, and I work with a lot of men with sexual brokenness and compulsion, that this is as good as it gets. 
I've tried hard to deal with this and I'm just going to have to accept that I'm a lustful man or, you know, an adulterous person. And hopefully with your strength, God, you know, I won't screw up again. But in this passage, you're saying that the effect of Christianity is to bring about a very different result. So unpack the whole and holy, how that's restoration. And then of course, how we get that and what that looks like as we live it out. Oh my gosh, there's so much to be said, Michael, as you know. But okay, let's let's start with this idea. Ephesians 1.4, he wants to make you whole and holy by his love. So in our therapeutic hour, there are many, many people chasing wholeness. And you can go to Oprah's new conference that she's you know, been trotting around the country and you can go to somebody who does Reiki or you can go do hot yoga or, I mean, it's just a jillion options right now. People are chasing well-being. They're chasing that what they're chasing is the healing of their humanity. They may not put it in those words, but, but they're chasing wholeness. And, and then there is this other thing over here that looks religious and pious. And, and it's a category of people who are saying, no, no, no. That's not really the point. The point is morality. The point is stop it. Stop your bad behavior, thoughts, your rage, your lust, your, your, your gossip, your adultery. Stop it and, and just get your act together. So you kind of have these two things. Um, and it's really tragic that they've been separated for so long because the fact of the matter is you actually can't heal your character without wholeness, without the restoration of your being. You, and, the, and, and the folks who, anybody who's, who's, who's had any level of addiction knows this. You, you, stop it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Something else seems to be needed. Some level of internal restoration seems to be needed so that I stop yelling at my kids so that I stop compulsively working so that, you know, whatever it is. And so you can't chase what we would call holiness. And we'll come back to that in a minute. You can't chase the transformation of your character without restoration. Now, here's the other thing, though. All those folks that are, you know, chasing the just the latest uh, this will heal you thing. The fact of the matter is you actually can't get to restoration while you are ignoring your character. Your choices matter. Your envy is an issue. And it, your envy is in the way of your restoration. So, you see, I'm trying to bring the two back together. Now, I was, for heaven's sake, this is God. This is Ephesians 1. He whole and holy go together to heal human beings. And so I know you already alluded to, we'll come back to this, but I want to talk about uh, an understanding of this word holy and holiness. There's a number of authors that I've been reading over the past couple of years that comment that holiness uh, has been understood exclusively through the moral perfection lens, or especially from the Reformation forward, that holiness has been understood in legal terms as opposed to relational terms. So I want to hear your 
unpacking the idea of holiness, but as I mentioned before our interview started, I want to read an inter- uh, a, a quote from Eugene Peterson, our, our dear brother, the late Eugene Peterson. Um, and I, I'm uh, working through reading Isaiah in 2019, and I started out reading the message, and I'm going to do different translations. And I think one of the beautiful gifts of the message is the introductions at the beginning where, yeah. you know, Peterson does this commentary. You're like, whoa. And so here's the statement about holiness I want to read and then allow you to riff on it. Eugene in the message says uh, in his introduction, the more hours we spend pondering the words of Isaiah, the more the word holy changes in our understanding. If holy was ever a pious pastel tinted word in our vocabularies, Isaiah turns it into a blazing thing. Holiness is the most attractive quality, the most intense experience we get of sheer life, authentic firsthand living, not life looked at and enjoyed from a distance. And, you know, you more than maybe anyone I've read in the last 20 years, that in your focus on the gospel and Jesus, this theme of life with a capital L comes over and over and over again, and not the the bios life, but the zoe life, this presence of vitality and um, animation and spirit. And holiness as life is such a different way of thinking about this. I, I read this a couple days ago. I was like, really? Is that what holiness could be? Because I am drawn to that, and that's compelling. Versus, you know, it's a it's a Baptist pastor in a three-piece suit with a large Schofield reference Bible spouting out the rules. So I'll open it up and just let you comment on that. <clears throat> so much to be said. I, I'm actually trying to pause for a moment because I'm trying to figure out what would be helpful to the people who are listening. Jesus, what is the direction? I would simply say it's the healing of your humanity. Now, why is that? Well, our dear friend Craig used to say that the the greatest test of your character or what you want to call your spiritual life or your maturity is how you treat people. Mm. And that is a mind blower. Because you go, no, 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 no. It's the fact that I'm not drinking anymore. It's the fact that I pay my full income tax. It's the fact that I stop at stop signs hmm. when no one's looking. That's, that's the proof of it. You just uh, because of the Trinity, because we're made in the image of a deeply, deeply relational heart, love is the centerpiece of this whole thing and, and learning to love and love well. Actually, the way you treat people. Mm-hmm. is the is the greatest expression both of your maturity but also your character and i think that when we understand as we are being healed and restored as human beings we end up enjoying people more mm-hmm. we end up loving better um the stuff that used to just fry us just doesn't fry us anymore i <laughs> My neighbor insists on putting his trash cans out on the windiest days of the year. And his trash blows all over the neighborhood. And it used to just fry me. 
I'm like, come on, you're being a total, you know, dude, um, get your act together, man. And, and the fact that it, I hate that in me, I hate that judgmental, dismissive, I wish you would go away quality in me. Well, as that is healed, as God gets a hold of us, holiness becomes this radiant, life-giving, joyful experience where goodness is natural, Mm. not the rare experience. Goodness is natural to us. It's flowing out of our, uh, out of our being because God is saturating us with his goodness. So another way, to, another way to look at this is Jesus and the way that he treats people. Now, gang, he's not always lovey-dovey, right? Uh, you know, he, sometimes love looks like very harsh confrontation. Every time you see Jesus, you see love in action. But his ability to walk through all of the challenges of life with such a goodness flowing from his being, that's holiness. And it's immensely attractive. As you're talking, uh, I feel like uh, there is a banquet set before me. uh, And that picture of that kind of goodness that's something I long to be, and I'm immediately aware of all the ways where I'm not, especially, especially these things that seem so ordinary and um, seemingly unspiritual. I, I was walking into my office this morning. I came in really early, and uh, our cleaning crew is consistently, how shall I say it, not as thorough as I would like them to be. And I, I have a little bit of OCD in my personality. so. The third day in a row, I see this giant cookie crumb at the edge of the hallway. And when I kind of come off the elevator to walk to my office door, and I just got ticked today. And, you know, I'm suddenly hating the cleaning crew and resenting the building owner and ready to write a letter. I mean, I literally spent easily five minutes having a conversation in my head about, by God, I'd pay rent and this much per square footage. And I felt so justified and energized. And then I got distracted with something. And I walked out later to see that crumb. And I just kind of smiled like, man, what's up with that? And what you're talking about is not that Jesus wouldn't notice that crumb, but that he doesn't get detached from his goodness or detached from his kindness or detached from his union with the father. And on this side of that, that whole, you know, bizarre interaction within myself, it's just so compelling to go, I I want that. And not, I want, I want that aspect of goodness. I want God. And what you're saying is that to get that, it is, number one, attainable, but it's not something that we go acquire through effort, but it, it flows out of restoration and this, this wholeness or integration of our heart and our being. Yeah. A friend of mine, successful guy, has had a number of personal assistants over the years, talented women. Several of them, frankly, are drop-dead gorgeous. And the thing that is absolutely intriguing is – he doesn't want to sleep with them. 
that just, he's able to, this is the way Jesus was with women. He has women literally throwing themselves at his feet. Women with sexual reputations, by the way, you know, and it just doesn't really phase him. He's not gritting his teeth. He's not muscling it through. He's not going into an imaginary, you know, life and then hating himself for doing that, you know, three minutes later. There is an ease. That's what we're describing. There is an ease to it when it is actually the restoration of your being. As, As we are healed as human beings, goodness becomes something not only that we constantly desire, but seems to have a nonchalance to it. Hmm. So as we go down the home stretch of this conversation, how does this restoration happen? Because this is what you teach on. It's how you minister. It's what you've written about. It's what you've lived in your own life and marriage and community. What would you want people to know who may not have this language or may not believe that the effect of Christianity is to bring restoration. You understand that you, that's a 12 part series. It's a, it's a graduate PhD. right? <laughs> <laughs> you just asked me the $60,000 question at the end of the podcast. And so how about if we, uh, if we give the, give the elevator speech and then we do another podcast episode. Yeah, we should do that because here's the podcast I want to do with you. So I'm going to put this out there as a, as an ask and you can, you can come back to me on this. I would love to swap notes with you while people are listening on what you and I are finding is actually working. Hmm. What, what actually works to, to restore human beings in lasting ways. Hmm. Now, since we don't have time for that right now, I think what I would say is this, you have to go deeper than behavior. Your inner world matters in a precious way. It matters. Your inner life is a place of exquisite beauty and delicate faculties that need healing because of the story of your life and because of the story of the world. And therefore, restoration involves a kind and compassionate look at the damage that has been done to your inner world through the story of your life. But it also requires a new type of experience with Jesus where you are opening the door into your story into loss, memory, harm, dreams, hopes, in a way that the one who made you is able to come in and remake you. Mm. I, I just don't think it happens apart from that. I, I think I am the vine, you are the branches. I think there is this, the human being is made to be in union with God, not just believing God, not just um, trying to obey God. Our being is a kind of thing. It's like a glove, and God is the hand that fits it. We, We are made for that level of intertwinedness. 
And as his being accesses more of ours, the worst levels of harm can actually be healed. Long pause there, because I think that's a thought and a reality that needs to really linger with people. Uh, Because I I think at some level that there's a kind of fork in the road or trailhead with two different directions doesn't seem strong or accurate enough. It feels more like a cliff where at some point in life we learn that we need to jump off the cliff and it feels like death and something does die, but that uh, this, this restoration gospel that we're speaking of promises that that when we lose our life, we find it. Uh, I just, I just think that there's people listening right now. And I know that I know that I know in a deep way inside that I've experienced this, that the deepest forms of harm can be healed. It's been true in my life from profound traumatic sexual abuse, starting at the age of four to sexual addiction and adultery and alcohol abuse that I I never thought there would be anything on the other side of that to a marriage that was shattered. I am uh, testifying and declaring that deep, deep, deep harm and the effects of evil and our our, uh, brokenness can be healed. But I want people to really sit with that and ask that question. Jesus, is there more? And is there more healing? And can a relationship with you make me whole? Such a critical, crucial, serious question, because so much is at stake. By saying so much is at stake, I don't mean souls going to hell, but things like joy and lightness and freedom And people without hope, uh, having that hope kind of sink in or or well up. And so, John, you've had this effect again and again and again in my life as I've known you for a while and as I've read your books and been influenced by your thinking and your ministry, that it's so beautiful how even today in this conversation, you just help me to turn my eyes and my gaze to Jesus. Mm. Uh, not religion, not Christianity as the hope or the answer, but Jesus, who the scriptures say that if we want to know what God is like, we look at this man, Jesus, and we look at the cross, and we look at the resurrected, ascended, embodied God-man. He loves more gang than you think he does. He's better than you think he is. Most of what you've been told about him is dead wrong. Yeah. You've been so gracious. This just makes me so hungry for more conversation. And I accept the invitation to have a conversation around what's actually working to restore human beings. Boy, is that important. So uh, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for your intense focus and relentless pursuit of Jesus. Um, Just a thirsty man looking for a well. Well, thanks for pointing myself and so many of us to, to the living water that's in that well. So 
signing off for now and hope to talk to you again. Thanks. I would love that. I would love that. And, and bless you, my brother. Bless your work. It's so critical. You're saving lives. Thank you. You've been listening to Restoring the Soul with Michael John Cusick, produced by Brian Beatty and supported by generous listeners like you. To learn more about our life-changing intensive counseling process for couples and individuals, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. 